there is no concept of go to the magistrate because there there is no magistrate. There is no city guard. There is no conglomeration. There's no bureaucracy. When there's a problem, you have to handle it on your own. And that's the default stance. And that's one of the things of escaping, you know, modernism. We're trained, you know, dial 911 when there's a problem or go to your, you know, local, you know, councilor, city councilor, whatever. And these are these are modernic reactions. The idea of handling things on your own is really lost to us. Jay's gonna bring me back. Give me a plus one to attack. Oh, 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 I want to come back to the dice. Whoa, oh, 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 I think I need some good advice. I need a role-play rescue. Oh, yeah. I need a role-play rescue. Oh, yeah. Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost roleplaying hobby. This is the first in a series of four new conversations I've enjoyed with various friends and new acquaintances within the Roleplay Rescue community over the tail end of 2023 and into January 2024. My guest today is Daniel Jones of the Primeval Fantasy YouTube and podcast channels, plus the eudaimonic geekery blog. I ask him to outline the nature of what he means by the term primeval fantasy as a subgenre of fantasy world making. Daniel is the originator of the term otherworld immersion and a proponent of the idea that changing the methodology of our role-playing games is the key to changing the experience we have at the table. For those who don't know him, Daniel is a published author and game designer, but if you want to hear our earlier conversations about otherworld immersion, please check out season 6, episode 10, season 9, episode 14, season 10, episode 19, season 11, episode 22, and season 12, episode 21. Yeah, he's been on a few times. Uh, Just so you know, the first part of the conversation refers to Daniel's own podcast episode in which he talked to the table runner YouTuber Jim Crispy about his own experiments in seeking deeper otherworld and character immersion. I'll stick a link to that in the show notes, but if you want to skip past it, the chat about Primeval Fantasy begins about seven and a half minutes into the conversation we have big thanks in advance to daniel for coming back to roleplay rescue for this raw unedited conversation between two gamers as ever it was an illuminating and fascinating conversation and i hope you find something of interest in here too this is season 13 episode 9 primeval fantasy with daniel jones so daniel jones uh welcome back good to see you again how are you you too, Che. It's been a while. Uh, I'm good. I finished moving uh, to a new home uh, in the country, and it's a lot more peaceful, a lot more quiet. Um, I can see, you know, every star in the sky, and that that matters a lot. And congrats on getting back to doing some podcasting as well. So for those who don't know, Primeval Fantasy has been a couple of episodes recently. Um, Probably the one I, I want to reference in a second that was really interesting was a recent conversation you had with the table runner, uh, GM Crispy, I think he calls himself, Chris. Um, really, really interesting interview that people should go and check out. Well worth the 52 minutes of your time. Um, talking a little bit about um, 
his experiments in sort of moving towards a more immersive or other world immersive game, which is great. Um, so yeah, just great to have you back on the mic as it were. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. So let's pick up on that. Actually, if you don't mind to start with, um, there's a couple of things I wanted to do kind of follow up on really. Cause, um, so, um, Chris, if, so if you haven't heard the interview, Chris, uh, talked a little bit about the two kind of key steps that he's taken with his group in terms of developing, um, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, experiments in a more immersive style of play. And the first of those was to ask his players to stop asking him questions um, in GM mode. So everything became character focused, which is really interesting. And then the second step, which really intrigued me, uh, was he was talking about language and use of language and to ask the players to basically talk in first person present tense i am drawing my sword and hitting the orc over the head um which i thought was fantastic and um, what was interesting in the interview is that I did, there wasn't a lot of time for you to respond to that or you know, to sort of give mm -hmm. comment on that so i was curious what did you make of uh, the experiments that he's he's taking yeah i thought it was interesting stuff and i um i just wanted to you know let let him talk without my uh, interjections as much as I can, you know, keep myself from blathering. Um, but, um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, especially the, and, and I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, it's one of these things I have to think about. So he's talking about, uh, players no longer kind of expediting things by saying, Hey, what do I know about this town? Or what do I know about this you know, region or whatever. And he's bringing it into um, kind of a, a much more feet on the ground, real time thing instead of summarizing anything. And I, I can see um, the advantage to that. I would have to experiment with that over, you know, multiple sessions to see if it became tiresome or not. Yeah. Uh, because there are times, I mean, a, a lot of, and this is true of, uh, novels as well, where pacing is a huge factor in the enjoyment of a novel. Yeah, And sometimes you do want the characters feet on the ground, exploring in the moment. And yet other times you want to have passed some time. So for role-playing, uh, I'm, I'm on the fence about that and, and I'll have to think about it because I'm really not yeah. sure yet. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, like you, I feel like there are real dangers with that kind of slowing things down to that degree. Um, and of course, uh, it it certainly would require for some people quite a habit change as well. But obviously, that's not necessarily a barrier because you and I are both aware that changing habits is not necessarily the bad thing, right? That actually... Right. You know, yeah. just because we've always played in a way is not necessarily a reason to keep playing in that way. Um, but it was interesting, especially like getting players to declare actions in sort of first person present tense. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. And so I think I will experiment with a bit more um, mm -hmm. because I like the idea, especially I think it's especially important, probably in the most intense scenes, like a combat scene, for example, I could see that being really oh, yeah. powerful and i could yeah. see that being really useful in an exploratory kind of place as well you know um 
that's a little bit more to I suppose what you might term the sort of older way of playing where you know everybody is you have to explore every inch yourself and there is no kind of recourse to me mechanism to to like expedite the search as it were you know I I'm looking in the the top drawer now I'm going to open the second drawer now I'm going to open the third drawer mm -hmm. but as you just said I, I kind of feel like there are times where that might become tedious as well and I also feel like there's the issue of what if the player doesn't know what to do because the player isn't themselves an expert in whatever it is they're trying to do, you know? So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, it's one of my biggest problems with um, sort of dealing with, I don't know, traps or whatever in a kind of classic sense is this question of, well, what if the player doesn't know how to do that? <laughs> you know, it's where having a skill check ability and that kind of thing is very, very useful to say you know, to move past, or you can be a bit broad, broad, like, okay, so you set up a bit of a trap <laughs> um, mm -hmm. or you, or you do the, you do some stuff to disarm it and, and you don't get into the specifics too much because neither me nor you particularly know what that might look like. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting. And um, I was particularly intrigued by this thing of not asking the GM out of character questions. I thought, I actually thought, crikey, is that even possible um you know to maintain that i thought it was really again an intriguing idea yeah uh, and that's one of those things that i would have to experiment with um over multiple sessions to see how it goes so i i can see i can see both sides of it and i'm gonna you know force myself to remain neutral until i've tried it <laughs> yeah on that fence and staying there yeah. loving it <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I just yeah. wanted to, I wanted to bring it up because I felt like it was a great conversation to listen to. So if people haven't checked that out, you should go to Primeval Fantasy Podcast and and check out that um, from December 2023. So it's really, really good. Um, like, Thanks, yeah. Nice, nice chat, really. And he's a good guy. He seems like a good guy as well. So yeah, yeah. Nice to, it's nice that we're finding more and more people who have this, uh, this desire for uh, a sort of deeper, more immersive other world experience, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, I used to be uh, really shocked when I found people who had the same appetite, but um, they come out of the woodwork um, now. And it's just it it's very random. I mean, I don't know mm. how to find them other than it just kind of accidentally does. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Birds of a feather and all that. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I wanted to talk about was uh, really about the subgenre um, because I know that Primeval Fantasy for you, that's your game and the thing you've been working on, um, it's set within a very specific fantasy subgenre. And um, I know in the past you've referred to it as being like Beleriand and inspired by Tolkien's Beleriand. But it occurs to me that there could be listeners out there, shock horror, who have never read the Silmarillion. Um Shame uh well maybe. They, they they should stop listening right now and just go read it and, yeah. <laughs> come back um, yeah yeah i mean what a fascinating that's a fascinating thing as well because you know like i mean because the silmarillion is written in that sort of legendary mythological style that i think i think yeah. a lot of modern readers they find it difficult you know and that oh I sure mean, sure um yeah. you know for me that's not so difficult you know having a, a theology degree and a background in biblical studies i'm used to read reading in that style and reading ancient texts and stories generally but so i fully appreciate that that you know that might not be easy for everybody but you're i mean you're right people well if you have a love of tolkien you're going to find the greatest depth in that book um you know as great as the lord of the rings and the hobbit are you know, Silmarillion is, is sort of 
key. But no, my point was that yeah. it occurs to me that you know, some people might not know quite what that means, actually. And I thought it might be interesting as also just to have a conversation around the sort of elements that you would that would that would include, I guess, kind of in a positive sense. Um, and also sort of think a little bit, I would like to talk a little bit about like what that gaming experience might be focused on as well. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, if I'm playing a classic D&D &D kind of fantasy and that sort of high fantasy, you know, mishmash kind of thing, then we have these tropes of like, you know, going on dungeon adventures and, you know, finding treasures and, and all those kind of things. And there might be, you know, dealing with certain big bad monsters and all that kind of stuff, which I can imagine I can almost completely absent from what you have in mind so i just thought it'd be really useful to get you to chat if it's okay a little bit about what your sub genre is uh paint us that picture and a sense of what players will be experiencing i suppose would be really good to do if you're okay with that yeah yeah of course um a lot of it is about a lot of it i have to describe um using negatives because yeah. um because the fantasy genre is so big and it has so many elements that I have to say, no, it's not like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so with uh, Beleriand um, or or just the subgenre that I'm seeking in general. So I role play to escape uh, modernity. Mm. Um, and I don't just want to escape from, I, I have an ideal place that I want to escape to. And that place is a deeply pre-modern world, which requires me to take on an anti-modern paradigm for constructing that world. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's interesting when we look at Silmarillion and then we look at The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, it is not deeply anti-modern pre-modern it's filled with anachronisms he uses the gregorian mm. calendar there's clocks on the wall i mean it's 18th 19th century uh pastoral britain right and probably you know specifically where um like where he's writing about right yeah, it's yeah. not too far from you is it no it's a little bit further south but yeah basically okay so, yeah. so um yeah, so, I mean, Middle-earth, at least Third Age Middle-earth, is not my goal uh, at all. I want something far earlier with his mythos. And for me, I want a world which was never touched by um, the modern mindset. So uh, everything that we have inherited as modernists, I want to reject for the fantasy setting. So instead of anything like science or anything like our concept of bureaucracies or governments or uh, what have you, um, I, I want to move, and, and it, it takes just years of, of imagining what that would be like. I think I owe a, a great debt to a history uh, professor I had in university. He was a, a medieval scholar um, and not only did he know, uh, so much about, you know, it, I think his specialty was 14th through the 17th century, but mm -hmm. what I owe so much was 
what he inferred, and he made it clear he was just making inferences about what the life of these people was like before different conquerors came and quote unquote civilized them. Right. So uh, people that were, you know, living in villages, there were no kings, there were no lords, um, and uh, they were far happier than people in the cities. Like women would have had far more rights and far much more freedom. They got to marry who they loved. And the curse of being, you know, from a noble family was that you were cattle and you were going to be sold. And uh, I mean, there's so many elements that once a conqueror starts, you know, bringing everyone in and um, and organizing them according to uh, what's most efficient to exploit them, that's modernity. And it goes back thousands of years, obviously. The Romans, the Roman Empire, before them, the Sumerians did it. Mm -hmm. And so it's these big elements, which I just despise, that, that destroy um, so much of our spiritual life, um, our imaginations, our, I mean, the ability to spend days in the forest doing nothing but gathering food. Um, and, and not like a crisis. I mean, like in the summer, uh, when things are plentiful, like you, there's no clock, there's no bell towers, there's no schedule. And so I'm kind of shotgunning these elements, right? Um, and and it, it does take years to kind of formulate this picture of, of what I want. Um, and that's why Beleriand is as close to it as I can get. It's this world which was never touched by any conqueror. Uh, humans were scattered around in different pockets, um, and they were far removed from the Sindar and the Noldor. Um, and they were just living these lives of uh, absolute, you know, freedom and then fear whenever you know, the dangers arose primarily from Melkor. Um, so uh, that's kind of a, a sloppy, that's kind of a sloppy <laughs> presentation. Uh, but uh, it's it's the key marks of the, the primeval fantasy world I want. I'm not actually, I know primeval often means, you know, 80,000 years ago, but that's not what I'm going to. I'm not going toward cavemen necessarily. You mm. could have cavemen, quote unquote, if you wanted to, but that's not what I'm aiming toward. I'm aiming toward a world which has huge segments, which the word king has no meaning. The mm. word warlord has no meaning. There's no organization um, in, in anything like the modern sense. And when you have that, then you are reaching toward a, a realm that um, that I most am in love with. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested in what that looks like in your mind in terms of how people dress, what they carry, what they use, you know, like, um, so I'm presuming you're thinking of a, a primarily a pastoral, you mentioned a pastoral lifestyle. So does that include in your mind farming or is it purely hunting, gathering and herding? Or is it 
you know what, what how do you see that picture of the the village yeah so um i have the world being deeply um compartmentalized on a spectrum so some of the people really are hunter gatherer and the closest they have to clothes are the skins they took off of animals mm -hmm. and and then you have others who are uh living uh early bronze age kind of lives so they are farming um and they are weaving uh for some of their clothing but it's a mixture of things right um uh, and the way that they farm they haven't learned about crop rotation mm -hmm. they haven't learned about tethering oxen yet uh, some of them haven't um so um, it's it's kind of scattered all over it depends on where they are and some people in my world are you know up to like 14th century uh kingdoms so some of them are i don't want to i don't want to blanket the entire world as as having any of that it's just that i have the world being so vast and so um unexplorable mm. you you can't go from the far east coast to the far west coast you will die very early on because the world is filled with you know horrible dangers it's not my my world across the board is not a civilized world and trade routes are uh, tightly confined to what people have made safe through years of of battle battling monsters primarily mm -hmm. um but to go back to your question it would be um a mixture of early bronze age or or maybe even late um stone age kind of living yeah so leathers and you know very crude looking clothing by our standards mm. Yeah, and um, I mean it's kind of interesting as well because there's some modern scholarship about like reevaluating our view of like the, um, you know, for like a couple hundred years now, at least 150 years or so, we've had this particular view of, um, you know, pre or primeval cultures, I suppose, um, which is being seriously challenged now as people put together the various bits of evidence, um, and you know this idea of uh, cultures and societies where there is a, a source of egalitarian is a modern idea so we have to throw that out but this idea where people worked um together and they cooperated together um you know but there would be like nominal leaders for different situations that would arise and you know all that kind of stuff so um it's it's very hard for us to imagine i think simply because of the points you've made really about the modern mindset and um I, i'm i'm taking that you're you're not using that in i mean because modernism postmodernism, you know we've got the enlightenment and we've got you know we're going back before then we're going back to pre-roman kind of and sumerian that's ten thousand years ago isn't it something like that so we're trying to go back to a time which is largely prehistoric but not in the truly ancient <laughs> sense is, is what i'm gathering is that right yeah that's right i mean it's it's really hard to put a pin in the map of a timeline um all, all i can say is that the the way i've approached it uh for years is to uh always try and envision you know people just kind of popping up in a world that had nothing uh, no mass population, no large mm. population. You have p 
people scattered in in villages um, and as much as we can erase any concept of empire and any concept of the scientific revolutions that we've been through um, long before Aristotle, um, long before Ptolemy, you know, it's, it's, and again, I, I can't point to an era cause it's prehistory, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, we can reach, we can reach toward that goal and by reaching toward it, um, we do generate that experience within my group. So it's not trying to like perfect this image and then someday play it. You're always reaching toward it. Um, and, and so, you know, in, in practice, you have people, you have the players and, and, and talk about, you know, my own players who agree that they'll have their characters say things like what's money or, mm. um, there is no concept of go to the magistrate because there, there is no magistrate. There is no city guard. There is no conglomeration. There's no bureaucracy. When there's a problem, you have to handle it on your own. And that's the default stance. And that's one of the things of escaping, you know, modernism. We're trained, you know, dial 911 when there's a problem or go to your, you know, local, you know, councilor, city councilor, whatever. And these are these are modernic reactions. The idea of handling things on your own is really lost to us. Okay. So that begins to give us a bit of a picture. And in, in terms, because if you're going back to sort of early Bronze Age then, so you're doing that technologically as well? Um, you're looking at, you know, yeah. spears spears and axes and maps maces in battle, um, you know, maybe shields. Mm -hmm. And we also, yeah, we, we mix it up where in some cultures, the wheel has not been invented. Mm -hmm. There's no concept of a wheel. There, in some, there's no concept of any metal whatsoever. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. And and so if we look at all the accidents of history, uh, I mean, it, it is amazing that some people accidentally discovered with their bonfire, I guess, that these little <laughs> rivulets melted and then they became something harder. I mean, how, you know, how did metal first accidentally smelting? How did that first happen? Uh, or, you know, popcorn, how did that happen? You know, wh whatever. But so across my world, I'll have, um, you know, inventions that we take for granted just have never come, has never come up. Mm -hmm. And so much of, of how our technology um, spread from culture to culture was from trade or, you know, conquest. And so if, if you don't have those things, then those inventions don't get made. Even the concept of a city wall, someone somewhere thought of that the first time, you know, 50,000 years ago. Um, and so you know, mixing it up uh, enriches the world, I think. So, yeah, what are player characters doing? That's that's the biggie, isn't it? Because like, if I'm not conquering the land and trying to become king, or if I'm not like raiding some ancient tombs left by some previous kind of fallen civilization, which, by the way, that post-apocalyptic division is the default in most of our sort of modernity mm -hmm. fantasy, isn't it? If that yeah. isn't the reality, um, yeah, what are my characters doing? 
Yeah, so the most recent campaign, um, I had people, um, the majority of whom were living in uh, a gargantuan forest and living deeply ancient lives in the forest where their lives had been just um, gathering food and, um, you know, staying alive um, and enjoying life that had that was the background mm. and so instead of you know let's go tomb raiding the the adventure comes when the bad guys come to their region so then i have um iron age conquerors sweeping west uh, from thousands of miles away and now these people see their first swords. They see their first um, chain armor. They see, you know, all these things uh, which are, you know, deeply established in dark age fantasy for the first time. And they're the victims. They're the ones being attacked. And so, um, you know, the, the first stage for them is, we'll take the bows and arrows that we use for hunting and we will fight back and spears. And, and so uh, the, the tenure for, for this campaign just very different from traditional D and D there's no, let's go to the city. Let's look for the, the post-it notes on the tavern to look for adventure. Like all of that would just have no place in this setting. Mm. Um, and so you have ancient people, which is, it's funny, this campaign is kind of uh, symbolic of the paradigm of modernity is attacking. And yeah. so um, these people, the invaders had a king and the, you know, the PCs had never heard of a king. They had no concept of why someone would ever do what they're doing. Um, and so all these things, you have, you know, the pre-modern people being attacked by modernity by the ugliest faces in modernity and presumably they're basically screwed um if they're <laughs> facing armored men with um uh, yeah you know, chain mail and swords they, for the first they, time they certainly would be uh had it not been for the forest which right. levels the playing ground now you have people who lived in the forest their entire lives and their skill outstrips anybody else and so when these, um, you know, these kind of Viking thugs um, are used to going in and conquering places, now they're going through these really dense forests and all of a sudden people are getting arrows in the necks. Um, and that's really exciting stuff. Um, and, and then you have, you know, some ancient subtle magic at work uh, that the players are involved with, and um, it makes for a really rich uh, campaign. Hmm. Very enjoyable. Yeah. Cool. Tell us a little bit about the magic then, because obviously it is fantasy. So um, yeah. Now, and I know you've spoken before about the, the level of subtlety and everything else. So do, do feel free to talk about that. But I'm interested in like how it meshes with the culture too. So yeah. Um, so like in this particular campaign. Uh, there's only one uh, character, one player character who is a spellcaster. And as far as he knows, he is a um, 
a forest god who keeps uh, incarnating, living out a life and dying and reincarnating. So um, he he's on one of his many reincarnations and he had lived uh, for a few decades before these invaders came. Um, and so everyone in the forest calls him forest god or forest man. But obviously he doesn't have, you know, the powers of a god, quote unquote, um, by most, you know, D&D standards, we'll say. But since he's the only one in the world who can use any magic whatsoever, he is a god. And so in his powers, um, by conventional standards, again, are very weak and low, like he can heal someone, but it'll take, you know, uh, he, he can keep you from dying uh, within like a day or so. Uh, and then after a week or so, he can restore you to like what you would consider full health. So um, I mean, we're talking about like at least seven days of him doing nothing but healing you. And so, um, as I've you know talked about before, the magic is restrained. But in the context of this uh, this world, this setting, he is the uh, apex of power that anyone can actually observe. Hmm. And so, um, he uh, he the player uh, just has a list of what he thinks his powers do. But he doesn't know any of the mechanics. I'm I'm still using the full opacity rules version. So when he wants to, you know, make weeds grab someone on, uh, in the forest, or when he wants to heal someone, or you know what have you, um, he describes what he's doing and what he wants. But he doesn't know the numbers. He doesn't know the system. Yeah. Okay. So. That's great. I mean, it gives us a really good flavor of it. What I'm curious about is how you help the players drop modernity. You know, like, yeah. Um, so I'm presuming there has to have been an awful lot of dialogue. Um, but yeah, I'd be really fascinated to hear like the steps that you've taken, I guess, to sort of help strip away. I'm guessing that's what it must be a subtractive process. Yeah, that's right. It has to, it has to be that way. Yeah. Uh, and it is a long process. It is a, it's, it's, I mean, it only works out for me because I've had years of the same friends who have been on the same page. Mm. Um, and I have other, you know, friends who are still playing like D and D three, 3.5. And that's kind of a jarring experience when we try to play together because they're playing in what I call modernic fantasy which I, I don't enjoy. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, forget the fact that I'm kind of on the extreme of what I want. This, I think this is hard for everyone. Like, how do you get on the same page about the world that, that everyone is, you know, supposedly dwelling in? Hmm. And um, I was just thinking recently that maybe, um, so I, I, I'm not a fan of uh, portal fantasy where we're in the primary world and you go through a magic gate and you end up in the secondary world. I don't really like that, um, except when I was a kid. I, you know, the first books I ever read were Narnia, uh, but I was seven. Um, 
But you, so you have the Summer Tree series by God Gavriel K, where he does it, and I, I didn't really. I think he's a great author, but I didn't enjoy that. But perhaps this is where brand new players should start. Mm -hmm. Like, just admit that you're you're from the modern world. Um, I've never done this, but you know. It's the way to say, okay, we're going to admit that we're all from the 21st century um, and we're going to step into this other world. And maybe it's a good tool for getting people acclimated to whatever whatever fantasy setting you're in, right? Because as it is right now, it, let's say someone's you know playing in my kind of world and they start doing and expecting things that are modernic in nature, um, then in order for me to protect the world, I have to say, oh, wait a minute, that we're not, we're not in that kind of setting at all. Mm. And that can cause like hiccups and, and maybe conflicts, I don't know. But I think this is a problem for people other than just me with my extreme uh, kind of niche version of fantasy, because... Um, you know, let's say that you um, are playing and then all of a sudden you say, okay, let's, let's arrest him and take him to the guard. And I have to, and then I would have to intervene and say, wait a minute, there's no such thing as a city guard and there's no such thing as arresting someone and there's no such thing as a dungeon. Um, so, I mean, there's all these, you know, presuppositions and it's hard. I mean, uh, I'm sure you've run into this yourself, right? Yeah, I think that, I mean, um, the best one in the world, this is why I end up very often running games for people that are just a step removed. I think I'm kind of learning that I have to take the players on the journey, and, and part of it is you have to establish a gaming group, and that's the first thing is, like, meeting fairly regularly and getting some sessions in, you know. But I think, like, each iterate like each time i kind of iterate a fantasy i can tweak it you know so i mean i play very modernic you know d classic dnd with school, school kids and it works fine because in the end you know like dnd that they're they're playing a sort of an alter ego over themselves the first step is getting them to take on an alter ego that isn't strictly themselves you know and then i think from there you start to think about well what what is what if in this world you, you some of these elements aren't there you know or there are different ways of doing things so I find like the first step is getting people to actually stop dropping linguistic like especially in speech linguistic mm -hmm. things you know um, yeah. um you know first of all the Americanisms and then the uh, modernisms <laughs> you know um, yeah but, it, but you know, do you know what I mean like the the people who have a conversation about oh that that guy over there he's really it's like guy what you know like yeah just down to slang and stuff like that and it, um trying to get people to not, not without becoming kind of tediously shakespearean or something um right just sort of get them yeah. to simplify language take away some of the slang try and like shift that worldview um and i've got to wonder if sometimes like that's where sort of the popularity of games like Call of Cthulhu, for example, has had some strength simply because it's an easy step to go from now to say, I mean, it's a big shift to the 1920s, but it's a shift that you can 
kind of do with a bit of research and a little bit of effort, you can shift yourself into the 1920s and then maybe to the Victorian era, you know, and then from there, maybe it's not so hard to shift to a medieval kind of mindset, you know, and then mm. is it possible to then take ourselves back to, I know, Byzantine or even a Roman mindset, you know, a little bit. You don't have to be strictly historical about it, but I think, and then coming back to a sort of a Greek ancient um, kind of mindset, you know, yeah. is it is it necessary for us to strip away, you know, and, and step backwards? I don't know whether that is or not, but I, I wonder if that's helpful, you know, to actually play a sequence of games with people in different types of era um, and sort of take them back. And I suppose that would be especially powerful if you were using essentially the same game mechanisms but you're just shifting you know the technology and the social paradigm as it were and then moving yeah. people back um because when i i mean i've talked a lot i, I have a great desire for it to play a prehistoric game and i, I know and i've and even you know quite happy to take it right back to sort of you mentioned like i know Cro-Magnon, neanderthal whatever we we understand those to be um, but living in that kind of like survival situation um, and in those kind of cultures and then imagining that to have some element of culture, which historically we have not granted to these people, but the science is starting to tell us that we should, um, but to grant them a sort of cultural sophistication and a spirituality and a, you know, a sort of cultural basis. Um, and then try and bring that to life in an imagined world because it's a fantasy. All of that is a fantasy. Even if you were trying to be historical, it would be a fantasy. Um, right. But it's, but to me, like that would be really appealing. But it, I think it's like such a big step, you know. Like to, I mean, I've been studying. I mean, like so, I'm a a teacher of you know religion, spirituality, and philosophy, and I think I probably have the best chance of making that mental shift uh, mm -hmm. because of the those disciplines and understanding like free modern thinking, you know, mm -hmm. and, and digging into um, symbolic meaning and all of those kind of concepts that kind of come from deep in our past. Um, and even, you know, and what I find is what the, the gap between what I understand it to be like and what most people probably think is probably quite big. Um, right. Yeah. So there is an element of like, education i think required and i don't mean that in a in a sort of condescending way just in a kind of sense of like you know you know like what does this mean to to strip back um you know think about it dnd is primarily born out of that late medieval you know mindset and um and and that's actually a, a mindset that was about to become renaissance you know enlightenment and renaissance you know it's like that that mix it's not you know, it's not actually particularly medieval, <laughs> you know. Right, um, right. It's an imagined construction, you know, based around sort of Lamour um, mm -hmm. data and all that. You know, it's, it, I don't know, it's messy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the hardest, the hardest would be to try and replicate any historical era. So... I mean, we have lots of information about the ancient Roman Empire, mm. but like stepping into that world and that mindset would be really difficult um, in spite of that amount of knowledge. Matter of fact, that may make it even harder than my own project, which is to step into the primeval fantasy because the primeval fantasy is primarily a philosophical endeavor. Reject modernity, forget modernity, 
make yourselves behave as if nothing that we classify under the umbrella of modernity ever existed. And so I, uh, I'm not sure. I think that my project might be easier than any uh, replication. So I want to be in Napoleon's army and we have a mountain of information about it, but can we accurately replicate it? I, d I don't know. We can, we can do parts of it. But I also think that that would be distinctly uncomfortable just from, because you're talking about role-playing a character. So you're getting into the mindset of another person. And I think like there are things about that people believed, thought and did in those yeah. areas that would be distinctly uncomfortable. That would seem perfectly probably natural to those people at the time, but would right. be for us massively no-nos, you know? Sure. Um, sure. And and of course, I mean, I guess you could argue that, well, we're never going to truly escape our point of view because, you know, that's it. We have, that, that is our point of view. That's what we, we have. Yeah. Um, right. Know, we've internalized. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think I get what you're saying. In the end, I mean, this is supposed to be a fantastic entertainment, is it not? Or is it an entertainment? Is it an, ex an experience of something other, you know? Yeah, it's it. Entertainment has a connotation of something lighter. It is. It's supposed to be entertaining, uh, but then we could say that about Godfather one and two. But there's yeah. nothing jovial about Godfather one and two. It's a work of art. Um, yeah, oh, I can't. Yeah, it's a striving towards a, an experience of something other, and that's. I mean, that's what's always been exciting to me. Um, and it, it and, in, and actually, I know this is going to sound heretical to some people probably, but entertainment is actually the wrong reason. I don't, I don't see. I don't play purely for an in terms of entertainment. There is an element of social interaction. Yes, it is fun. <laughs> it is enjoyable. But actually, uh, for me, it's the intellectual challenge of it, and and in a number of different levels. I mean, the imagination being engaged in that regard. But also there's yeah. an element of analysis. There's an element yeah. of, you know, challenge that comes from solving problems and all those kinds of things. For me, it's like a whole brain gets worked out if I'm in role play mode. So um, yeah. as opposed to if I'm playing a strategy game, you know, I may well be using lots of analytical parts of my mind, but I'm not necessarily using the imagination. Yeah, um, I can play um make believe purely and i can be imagination mode but then i don't get to fiddle around with the analysis and the other kind of elements of my in my more logical mind i suppose i guess mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is bring those things together in in a holistic sense in the way that we live our lives and experience life yeah so-called real world <laughs> yeah yeah the height of the um experience from for me as far as a subgenre is to have successfully um you know put this world as far away from me as possible when i'm playing and when when my group is playing to see you know as a gm to see them uh all on the same page uh of course you're talking about people who you know have the same desire you can't yeah. take someone who, who doesn't love this subgenre and yeah, like make them love it that that'll never happen um but uh, you're talking about people who who love that kind of world. And it's it's mixed in with all kinds of other things, like a, a desire for 
um, you know, the, the spiritual health that we as a culture had so long ago that it's, un we can't remember it because it's gone. You're talking about walking through the forest and literally believing, oh, there's a spirit in this tree and I'm not being figurative and I'm not being poetic. Mm -hmm. There is a spirit in this tree and I'm going to, you know, commune with it. That kind of, of worldview, which is just lost on us, right? Um, it's just, you know, mentally ill, we would, you know, generally call it 21st century America, someone who thinks that, um, you know, we would call, you know, mentally ill, but for them, that's just life. And it's, in, it's as true as there's a cow on the hill, both are equally true statements. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, lots of appetites will compel people towards this. Um mm. And, and that's why D&D &D does nothing for me, because you don't, in, in conventional D&D, &D, every spirit is a creature with a list of statistics, right, mm -hmm. and attributes and numbers, and it's, it's ruined. Um, and I mean, and, and so I get how it happened, um, how, you know, games like D&D &D ended up where they did. Mm -hmm. Um but it, it does nothing for me. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's this thing of uh, um, the idea of like spiritual reality, um, uh, you know, that requires in itself, um, there's an act of imagination there. And I don't mean that in a flippant negative sense of like, you have to, you know, these things aren't really real, but we just imagine they are. No, there's an act of imagination in being able to see the living the livingness of something, the aliveness of a tree, for example, and then mm -hmm. to um, accept that that thing has a sense of consciousness about it, you know? Um, and like mm -hmm. you said, that's our reductive, um, modern materialist worldview just says, no, the tree is made up of, of atoms, which are themselves essentially, you know, quantifiably measurable and broken down into other sort of smaller particles, waves, whatever you want to call it, if we're going to get down the quantum mm -hmm. level and just see it as an object in that sense. Um, right. To me, like has always missed the mark anyway. I, you know, yeah. I'm not a materialist, um, yeah. but the, um, but then like you said, to recapture the wonder of that and to the understanding that, you know, these things by dint of being alive, you know, there is, you can credit that with consciousness perhaps very different to ours but nonetheless there and and then to imagine that that entire forest of trees is somehow alive there is a, a kind of a, a principle behind it if you like a, mm -hmm. a sense in which the forest is is alive and, and real which i think is something that tolkien tried to show when we look at fangorn for example um yeah you know and, and the idea of the intimate i think is a way of expressing that um, sense that the whole forest will come together and and, and decide, right? Um, yeah, so, yeah, I think it's a, a powerful thing to drive for. Um, but like you said, people have got to, I mean, people have got to want to believe it uh, in a sense, you know, and, and allow themselves to inhabit that mind space, which yeah. is... And, and of course, the the worry I suppose, I think you know what I've heard people say as well as I well I worry about like it will it will change how I look at the world around me, and I kind of feel like that's kind of the point. 
Like, yeah, that's a good thing. Have you looked yeah, at the 21st century? Yeah, yeah. How's the if 21st you have century? an option, if Yeah. you have an option to leave the 21st century worldview, <laughs> you take it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'm, we talk, I'm actually, we talk about psychological bleed in, bleed out, right? The idea yeah, that you know, yeah. the ideas that we um, experiment with in a, in a sort of fantastic sense affect us, you know, and affect the way we think and affect our personality. Well, I don't see that as a bad thing I, you know like in this Yeah. case uh returning to a pastoralism having a sense of like the living world around us trying to be reconnect ourselves with you know the 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 world around i mean how could that be bad <laughs> Right. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm about 80% done with um you're familiar with Ian McGilchrist. uh-huh yep So, I'm about 80% done with Master and His Emissary and fascinating uh brilliant work. Uh, and I can really see the appeal of his panpsychism um, or his musings on it. I don't know how hard lined he is on it, but I can see I can see the benefit of it um, without any damage to being reasonable. Um, the the left brain right brain thing. I, I really think he. He is showing something important. And I think that applies to my own desire for this primeval fantasy world, this world where the magic is returned um, by, you know, getting rid of our left brain tyranny. Um, so, yeah, that, it's funny. I just found him in the past couple of years, but he's he, uh, I'm very much in sync with what he's saying. I think I think it's interesting. I mean, I you know, I personally have the belief that we're living in a in a world that you know, post-industrialism, especially, has just become over quantified, Oh, over yeah. dominated by re, you know by reason, by measurement, by you know, and everything else, and has actually lost sight of deeper things and and Yeah. less quantifiable things and of course desperately wants to quantify them what winds me up all the time is when people like try to investigate say supernatural so-called supernatural phenomena you know paranormal phenomena those kind of things i am doing air quotes for those who can't see um you know these are phenomena and to investigate them i think you going in with the hard scientific approach alone you cannot quantify something that is fundamentally not quantifiable in a physical sense. But of course, to understand what I'm saying, you have to understand that it's possible to think of the world as not being purely material. Um, Right. and, and then to imagine ourselves in a, in a fantastic world where we make that real and go explore it is quite fascinating. Mm hmm Yeah. At least to me. <laughs> um, Yeah. but I think then it feeds back into a loop of, Oh, okay. So I can experience the world around me in a different way. Um, Yeah. And if you're, if I think if you're not exploring whatever setting in a very different way, I think you're missing out on a major gift that role-playing games can give you as opposed to um, just kind of the detached perspective of I'll see what I can, you know, manipulate the pieces in that setting to reach my objective. And, and many play that way, but they're missing out on something that role-playing can give you, uh, which is to truly escape and escape from and escape into the the thing you really desire the most.
Yeah. I guess on one last philosophical question is I wonder why we seek it. Um, have you got some thoughts on that? Oh, sure. I mean, the, the discontent of the 20th and 21st century. So you look at all of the, the horrible events of the 20th century, the world wars notably, and then the, the growing awareness of how modernity has been. It's, it's this tool which should, on the face of it, be something that would help us, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, all the tools of analysis that bring medicine and, <laughs> you know, technological advances so we can have more food and, and all these things that should be good uh, have been corrupted. So, I mean, it's simply um, Melkor to Sauron to Saruman. It's mm -hmm. that dominance uh, which takes what should be good and turns it into something disgusting. And so... Um, that we are discontented with this world because of how things are like, I don't say ruined, that's going too far, but the, the malaise of our generation um, is so overpowering. Why wouldn't we want to escape? Hmm. And why wouldn't we want to escape into something radically different than where we are? So, you know, I, I can look at like, let's say Star Trek, and Kirk's era, right? So I can see wanting to escape into that because you have these clear lines of good guys, bad guys. You have adventure, but it's exciting adventure. It's not tedious. It's not, you know, whatever. So I can see the desire to escape into that because it's so different. But um, just for whatever reason, my appetite said escape modernity completely mm. um, and that that's mine. So well, what about you? What, what are you, what's your conclusion on it? I think that our culture is missing some big things and, you know, you can put that under the term of spirituality, I suppose, but it's a too broad a thing. So, but I just feel like there's a disconnection we have. So if we, if you think about it, right, the first technologies are like clothes and then we like, I know we, we add things to our, ourselves right so we add tools and they allow us to increase our power and you know we we have a community around us we put a wall around our city to protect us from the things outside and then you know if we move out into our era you know we have incredible technologies to protect us um you know we are vaccinated against some of the worst diseases in the in in the in the world we are um protected by a vast technological um, you know, networks which actually allow us to do what we're doing right now on the positive, yeah. but also protect us from, you know, um, all manner of, of other human societies that might try to, you know, to um, harm us. Um, and in fact, in some ways, like the greatest betrayal is from within our own cultures and societies, you know, like when our governments fail in their duty, because that's the deal, isn't it? We, we pay up our taxes and what we expect in return is, you know, access to this this trade and this um, great technological and scientific, you know, boom and protection from those who would try to take it from us. Okay. Um, what I find myself doing when I'm gaming is one of two things: I'm either wanting to lurch back into some kind of imagined fantastic, primeval world, like a bit like what you're talking about, um, 
and I'm quite curious about earlier eras, and so I tend to steal from those and trying to build fantasy, you know, like fantasy realms that are like just exploring that, but always with the fantastic twist. Because mm -hmm. as we've commented earlier, you commented earlier, like actually trying to do history is really, really hard. Like you know, actually, yeah. probably the harder thing. Um, but the other direction is is also interesting. Like my favorite science fiction games are post long night fall civilization as we know it has completely collapsed and we are again back on our uppers right we have to f fend for ourselves we have to fight groups and you know like i don't mean strictly in the post-apocalyptic sense either i just mean imagining a society that has come out of the ruins of whatever this is going to do to itself you know and actually out there in the stars what might that look like that's interesting that's exciting and as well you know but it's a similar thing it's about saying let's tear down this horrible um, industrial prison that we build for ourselves because the other side of all of those layers of protection is they imprison us. Um, right. You know, if you can take me on a philosophical level here um, and to sort of say, well, what happens if you tear that down and you try and build a different kind of center, a different kind of um, cultural uh, focus? I mean, yeah. All cultures and societies have, to some degree, hierarchy. Um, that's kind of the way the world is. But I think the idea that it has to be the hierarchy we currently exist in is like extremely questionable. And it's fun, but also intellectually stimulating to go mess around with those options and imagine something mm -hmm. different. You know, and I don't doubt that you know there have been great innovators in our culture over the years who have played with these games and thought about stuff and then that's led them to try and innovate and take things in various directions as well you know um i i wouldn't lay a claim on any of them but you know i do wonder whether this great imagination that we have as human beings isn't like the most powerful gift that we have um and it seems to me like we live in a world where it is stifled the most you know that oh people, yeah surely people today are literally told what to imagine and shown it um and for me like the great freedom of role-playing games has always been to go imagine it myself um, yeah yeah escaping well i mean especially because um internet addiction is ubiquitous and mm -hmm. so worse than ever before so if we go way way back we we, we always hear you know when someone complains about the internet someone invariably jumps in and says Oh, that's what, you know, our grandparents said about us watching TV as if that nullifies it. But the truth is they were right. Our grandparents, our great grandparents were right sitting in front of that square and letting the corporation tell you what to like is bad for the, bad for us. It's mm -hmm. poisonous to the soul, right? Mm -hmm. Because most of the time it's not art that's being produced. It is corporate regurgitation with lots of commercials. And, and so the internet is 10, 20 times worse than any TV addiction was for my generation when we grew up. We, um, and so with everything, so they're told what movies to watch, which ones that they are bad people for liking and you know everything is has been turned into this machine and um yeah role playing should be an escape from all of that as well mm, yeah and i think like 
to come back to the subgenre thing is like this that stripping away i mean i'm kind of always fascinated by characters who aren't literate um so you know we go back on tv we get to literacy i'm sure people were going these books they're gonna be really bad for people you know um oh yeah and and, and, the, and reality and is socrates yeah i think the reality is that all technologies have this they 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 eat and they um augment us as human beings in wonderful amazing ways but there is always a tipping point when they become something we become dependent upon and then we we can't do without and you know and i think so you know like on one level wearing clothes great means we can move out of <laughs> our immediate environment and live in some slightly different environments and and inventing a spear so we can like hunt um and and defend ourselves against those bears and and wolves that want to eat us great um but of course there comes a point where those weapons are used against us and suddenly we have to have them to protect ourselves otherwise when we have to have this warrior class around us to keep us safe because otherwise we're all going to get butchered by the guys over there um mm -hmm. you know and suddenly we're enslaved by that technology to some degree right and then mm -hmm. this is the the interplay all of the time and i think i think it's fascinating to sort of just go and it, 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 like you're talking about strip way what what can we strip away here what would life look like if we took that away and what would life look like if we took that away and coming back to um well the risk of like sounding like seeking some kind of utopian pastoralism which i'm not i'm just personally curious about what would it feel like to be in the forest you know with my the people who are essentially are family and close relations you know uh, a, a relatively small group of human beings surviving and then to be faced with the evil being of those guys with swords that's fascinating yeah yeah um one book that was helpful years ago uh bernard cornwell's stonehenge book mm -hmm. um so it's going back you know about four thousand years and i think cornwell does a great job of reflecting the worldview of people because these were people who had no concept of a king either yeah. uh, they had warlords of different kinds but the there was nothing like government that yeah. we think of at all and and everyone is deeply supernaturalist deeply um afraid of you know all such supernatural beings and you know they're motivated in in that book they're motivated to create stonehenge um purely to appease the gods and to bring uh the gods closer to earth and to you know generate peace and prosperity um it's it's a deeply supernaturalist uh worldview and when we role play that um it, it's it's rewarding it's a rewarding escape uh, from you know the cold materialism of the 21st century and into that that supernaturalist world yeah i think this idea of bringing down to earth higher things if you like in that sort of strictly mm -hmm. you, know, a, you know a simple way i suppose but to, and to give them form and we do that in role-playing games we can do that least in our minds we give them some kind of tangible form and of course mm -hmm. in some ways the way we describe them but also the way we do have some things that are quantified you know with for the game itself helps us to do that um but that's a powerful thing to imagine and play around with and um 
yeah, and sort of share together, you know, with friends. Yeah. It's a really yeah. good thing. Yep. Okay. Well, Daniel, thanks so much. I, you know, I'm conscious of time, so just want to thanks for coming and talking about it. I wanted to get a little bit deeper into like the kinds of worlds that you were you were imagining and wanting to play in as well, because I think on the one hand. I, you know, you talked an awful lot about methodology and even to some degrees about mechanics, but um, I don't know. I get the feeling that the world is uh, hugely important as well. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. That Everything's in service to entering that other world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good talking with you too. Thanks for having me on. That's great. Savio. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Big thank you once again to Daniel Jones for coming and sharing his thoughts about Primeval Fantasy. I'll stick links to his stuff in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. Call in via speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue and leave a message. Thanks once again to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Thank you also to John from Tale of the Manticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music. But most of all, thank you to you for showing up and listening. I hope you found it useful. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. I'll see you again next time. Game on.